Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. First of all, I would like to finally make a Stalin episode because I've been receiving so many emails about the current events in Russia and that the fact that you want to hear about them that, once again, the Stalin episode is put aside for a while, but when it's gonna come out, I, I don't know. It's, it's looking like a Dan Carlin style of a super long episode. Same with the book part, by the way, because I just want to finish it, you know, things that I want to do. For moving on to other other stuff, because we've been doing a lot of specials lately. But uh, before we get to the meat of the episode, so to speak, I'd like to say a few things. First of all, and uh, this comes from from the guys who organized this, because you know they they finally sent me an official plug for the thing. So <clears throat> I'll be speaking at Harvard University on Saturday, November the third, two thousand eighteen, at a conference hosted by at Ministry of Ideas. That's on Twitter. Uh, they're apparently a students group or something. And yeah, that's going to be called Sound Education. And you can learn more at soundeducation.fm and stay updated at, again, another Twitter hag, at sound under slash edu. I'll meet Dan Carlin there. I'll meet a bunch of people from Dark Myths there. It's going to be super amazing and I'm definitely going. And that's all thanks to you guys. Because, yeah, they sent me the plug after I'd done my fundraiser already. But, yeah, that thing's now over. Well, if you want to donate something, then... Hey, Patreon is the way to go, and you can just click the donate button. All that's going for the trip, because obviously I have to save up. But yeah, I am going to America, and I'll be there from the 1st to the 5th of November, and it's going to be awesome, because I'll be at the conference on the 2nd and 3rd, where I'll meet Dan Carlin, Prof. CJ, basically everyone, a lot of people from Dark Myths, and I'll be uh, having a lecture there. I'm a speaker, and you can, like, at the soundeducation.fm, actually, you know, look at that. But my speech is going to be available to the general public, and I will be speaking about how the oral tradition in general saved my culture. That will include uh, Latvian uh, like folk songs and a bunch of Soviet anecdotes, because I intend to gather a bunch of them, mostly about America, obviously, because, you know, wh- why not? And, and I'll be there, so if you can make it up to Boston, then, then please do, because on the 4th of November, I'll just be hanging out with my pal Sam Davis from the Inward Empire podcast. Three cheers to that guy. Uh, yeah, and he'll be taking me through a tour through the city and, you know, giving me some clam chowder as well, because I haven't tried that one. But I have a special thank you as well, and that goes to Thomas. Uh, Thomas is, is a great guy, and he really helped me do all these things and finish out the fundraiser, uh, at least in a way how I wanted it to be, and... 
And he asked me to do a plug as I had apparently reached out to him and we had spoken in the early years of the show. But his own show is now just amazing. Uh, I gave it a listen because, you know, he he gave us a donation and then he asked me to do a plug. And, I, you know, I don't do normal plugs until I listen to the show myself. But boy, this thing is totally worth it, especially since how it connects to today's episode. He runs a podcast called Physical Attraction. And you might like it, guys. It's a podcast about, like, physics, science, and tech. And they just do all sorts of crazy things. They jump from the distant past to the future. And and they have episodes speaking about life of Isaac Newton to the ways the world might end. And, like, from the lives of quarks. And, and, like, I like theoretical physics. It's it's a surprise, really, but I do. Through the life cycles of neutron stars. They cover all of it. If you have any interest in science and physics and everything, go listen to Physical Attraction. And those guys have interviewed scientists, authors, activists, and historians. and, And, by the way... Way. You know, due to the fact that Thomas listens to my show as well, apparently they have been having a special focus on Russia-related issues. They interviewed uh, Simon Ings, the author of the Stalin and the Scientists, uh, about science in the Soviet Union, and they also have had several episodes about the atomic bomb, which I have yet to make, by the way, because, you know, I'm going to grab some interviews here, but yeah, do that. Please do check Physical Attraction out, subscribe to them on iTunes, visit their website, physicspodcast.com, and, and yeah, just give them a listen. Oh, and by the way, they have a sister podcast too, Autocracy Now, which is all about historical dictators. And they're running a Stalin series as well at this point, and they've got into the Battle of Stalingrad. Well, it's always interesting to hear a Western perspective on this, because I'm pretty sure they have great sources on that matter. Especially since, you know, I'm going to be rounding my Stalin episodes to get to World War II, and that's going to be quite a different take from his. But hey, if you are craving for more Stalin, go check out Autocracy Now! And don't forget physical attraction as well, because really, Thomas helped me out a lot, and he's a great guy, and his show is truly amazing. But yeah, this is kind of my special thank you here, because um, I have been preparing for Stalin episodes, but yeah, for some reason, people just keep keep sending me emails and messages on Facebook and on Twitter and everything, because the latest events that have happened in, in Russia are just insane. We're talking about duels now, and people actually, you know, wanting to codify the rules of said duels. And then we have two magnificent tourists who are basically visiting the Salisbury Spire, which, as we all by now know, is 123 meters tall. So let's get into that whole stuff. But yeah, thank you for getting me to Harvard. Thank you, Thomas. Check out Physical Attraction. And let's get on with the show. So let's get on with the crazy stuff. Well, first of all, as many of you have actually heard that I judge by the emails... As you might know that Russian National Guard Chief Viktor Zolotov challenged Mr. Navalny, whom I have a lot of objections actually uh, to, but that's a whole different story. Anyway, he challenged Navalny to a duel. Uh, he used to be a private bodyguard to uh, to Putin, uh, but on Tuesday, last Tuesday, Viktor Zolotov basically released a YouTube video challenging opposition leader Alexei Navalny to a duel. Because he called him a scoundrel and he was threatening to turn him into a... <clears throat> Tenderized beefsteak. Yeah, that's that's the thing to do. He basically accused the, the guy on insults and defamation, demanding, quote, redress in single combat. In his remarks, Zolotov, by the way, referred to the officer's tradition, stating that, quote, from time immemorial, scoundrels have had their faces smashed and been called to duels. He specified really no terms exactly, offering merely to fight Navalny, quote, in the ring or on the judo mat or whatever. Zolotov also promised to make juicy mincemeat, 
or beefsteak, whatever, I just use different English translations of the interview here, of his opponent. Navalny, meanwhile, is, by the way, in jail right now. He's serving a 30-day sentence for staging an illegal protest in January. And yeah, uh, basically Zolotov insults Navalny in his video, calling him a scoundrel and a coward, and he threatens to, quote, mob the floor with him, while the whole National Guard staff watches. As you listened in my previous episode about the prison laws, this is a clear statement which is understood correctly, by the way, by everyone here as, you know, to make someone a petuch, you have to apustit <clears throat> or, you know, humiliate him publicly. Therefore, what Mr. Zolotov here is stating is clearly understood in prison terms that he's gonna make a petuch out of Navalny. There are a couple of issues here. Now, first of all, the whys. The whys are pretty simple, actually. Well, see, uh, Navalny just made another of his investigation videos. And again, I will make a specific episode about Navalny and another one about Ramzan Kadyrov. Those are all in the making after I finally get my three-hour Stalin done. But uh, Navalny made an investigation on Zolotov about how the Rosgvardia, which is like their National Guard thing, that's not like National Guard in the United States sense or anywhere else. They are essentially a military force which is dedicated to protection of president. That's Putin's private army, if you can look at it that way. Uh, basically, they, they, they're the guys who run out and beat up protesters. Yeah, the, the fun guys. But those guys used to be fed from, like, regional bases, as they have their forces all over Russia. But recently, apparently, they are being just fed. All the food to them is being supplied by the uh, Crimean company run by Medvedev himself, or, you know, having ties to Medvedev. So you see, Navalny kind of posted that even though they buy their whole foods, like, wholesale, and they should get really cheaper prices, they don't. Uh, the price for potatoes, for example, is higher, even though they're buying wholesale uh, for Rosguardia, than there is the average price in the Moscow supermarkets. And stuff like that. Same with potatoes, meat, everything, basically, vegetables, everything. And then, the, you know, there were a bunch of responses that Navalny doesn't understand things, and that the food is better, actually, with all this stuff. But, you know, raspil, traditional raspil, uh, yeah, basically corruption and stealing is going on. Well, who would be surprised, really? But yeah, this is happening. And and then there are a couple of comments about this, because that's our first story for this week. Because, for one, a uh, deputy of Russian Gosduma from LDPR party, essentially the day after this happened, because uh, this is a big thing here, and yeah, again, a bunch of emails received. Uh, this is a big thing here, so this guy from LDPR, Russian Liberal Democratic Party, yes, the Zhirinovsky's one, the, the Liberal Democrats only in name, of course, he presented to Gosduma a... Uh, bill which would legalize duels and you know he basically took the uh, code of honor of the dueling codex and just replaced uh, basically nobility with clerks so this duel only allows duels between equal of status that means between the clerks that's one way how to do this and dmitry peskov who's the press secretary of putin yeah he also commented on this issue stating that oh yeah it's totally okay because apparently, you know, serfdom is coming back to Russia with a vengeance or something. But there are a couple of comments here from not even like Russian opposition, just, just weird, interesting comments about this. One of which comes from Yakov Gordin, who's a historian and author of the books, quote, Russian Duel and another one, Duels and Duelists, The Panorama of Metropolitan Life. Yeah, the, he has a nice comment there, which I'll read right now. And then there are going to be some interesting comments from Alexander Nevzorov, because uh, I'm a huge fan of that guy. He's an equestrian, and he used to be like Putin's favorable face, but he's 
He's gone down into the opposition. He's one of the few guys who can, like, literally on Echo Moskvi criticize Putin openly. So, if you speak Russian and haven't listened to Echo Moskvi Nevzorovsky's Sredi or Nevzorov's uh, Wednesdays, please do. That's, that's one of my biggest inspirations for the whole thing. But yeah, essentially, we are going back to the 19th century, more days than one, and this is the explanation by Yakov Gordon, which I'll, I'll read in full. Quote, <clears throat> This whole story bears no resemblance to real dueling tradition, and it's not, as many are saying, because Navalny isn't a soldier. Those kinds of duels certainly happened. For example, Dante Gekren was an officer and Pushkin was a civilian. There were cases when a civilian killed a soldier in a duel. The nobility, as a rule, knew how to shoot. First, General Zolotov is the head of Russia's National Guard. It is his duty to uphold the laws, but here he inciting others to violate the law. I know of no case where a state official, if any rank, responded to corruption allegations by challenging his accuser to a duel. All dueling, whether it was pistols or swords, was prohibited. Dueling could get soldiers locked up, demoted, or deployed to the Caucasus, which is essentially a death sentence, because the Caucasus with Ramzan Kandirov, oh boy, that's a whole new can of worms there, guys. If you think Putin is evil, Ramzan Kandirov beats Putin in every possible way of evilness, trust me. I'll get to him in an eventual episode anyways. Second, continuing on from the article here, a duel challenge never came before the powers that be. There were duels involving high-ranking figures, but the initiative always came from the younger party, who felt he had exhausted all alternatives to defend his honor. In the early 1820s, there was a famous duel between the generals Kisilov and Mordvinov. Brigade commandeer Mordvinov challenged army chief of staff Kisilov, and in the end, he was fatally wounded. Third, in the time of duels, aristocrats agreed on the weapons and it was understood that they both knew how to use them. In Zolotov's case, it's someone trained in hand-to-hand combat proposing a fight against someone who perhaps has never in his life been in a ring. But then again, it's all the prison laws about, you know, Apushinya and Petuhid, which is why that episode was really important, so go listen to that one if you haven't already. Anyhow, fourth, if we're talking about dueling tradition, it excludes fist fights. A great connoisseur of dueling rules, Pushkin wrote with contempt in the 1830s about a group of young cavalrymen who had a fist fight instead of a duel. When he heard about this incident, though he was hardly a fan of duels, Tsar Nikolai I booted the soldiers out of the guards in disgrace. So yeah, General Zolotov technically has plenty of ways to respond to Navalny within the bounds of the law, if he's certain that he's correct. Resorting to a duel is too simple. It's really no different to screaming, Hey guys, I am stronger, therefore I am the correct dude in this whole situation. But, again, my personal favorite, uh, Alexander Nevzorov, whom I really enjoy, has a whole different take. You see, according to the traditional dueling rules, well, if you ignore the tatami part and, and, like, the boxing ring, then that means that Navalny can pick his own weapons for a fight. And Nevzorov has had, well, quite a bit to say in this matter. So about Mr. Nevzorov, see, he's a huge equestrian fanatic, he loves horses, he's also a biologist, he's really good at that, but lately he's been a journalist. And he's been the, like, the trustworthy face of Mr. Putin representing him in elections, because in the early 90s he was like all sad about the Baltic countries getting independence, but I think he's kind of changed his views, I think he's... You know, if you'd imagine him, uh, he's like the Russian version of Hunter S. Thompson by now. Uh, if, you, if you're a comics fan, then, you know, I love Transmetropolitan, which kind of drove me into journalism in the first place. But Mr. Nevzorov is kind of like that. He's the most gonzo thing Russia has, and he's so influential and has been friends with Putin and is so widely known that he can get away with it. 
And he and his latest show basically stated that, well, as long as the dueling rules are still upheld, even though they would be these um, these weird rules if the thing comes to pass, which I don't think it will, but maybe, uh, those nice rules of dueling, then according to the Dueling Codex, if you ignore all the facts about how Mr. Navalny got thrown the gauntlet in his face, well, he now has the rights to choose the weapons of the duel. And obviously, Mr. Nevzorov declared that the fight should be done by pensioners, retired people. You know, you can, you can, if you swing, and this is a quote here, if you swing hard enough and you're skilled enough, then even the most dystrophic, starved Russian pensioner can become a wonderful weapon and tool of destruction in the right hands, especially if you use a duct tape to kind of, you know, put some sort of a handle on him. Then you can really do it. And you should probably slap some razor blades on it as well while you're at it. And if the retired person actually, you know, resists and bites and punches, then, you know, it just becomes all the more powerful. In addition, it's like, you know, not like they're not going to get paid, but the silliness of this whole duel thing has not gone unnoticed. I mean, this is going back to 19th century traditions, and yeah, the idea that Navalny should just choose retired people, the pensioners, uh, as his weapon of choice. So, you know, just imagine Mr. Navalny swinging around some, some like, 80-year-old person with swords attached to them. That would be really fun. But that's how it goes. I mean, we've stepped down to a place where uh, rule of law apparently does not matter at all anymore. And the ruble has been like steadily falling since my last really serious political episode, so that kind of impacts it too. And uh, in a way, this duel kind of ties into another tragedy, because there is Mr. Kirienko, which is another lead guy of the whole... Um, corruption thing, which Navalny tries to uncover. And Mr. Kirienko has put in a lot of effort to mute Navalny down, to basically make sure that nobody knows who Navalny is, what he does, or what's going on there. And his work is now all forfeit because, well, even the most hardcore Putin fans looked at um, Zolotov's uh, dueling challenge, and you know what? It's weird, because if you if you look at the whole Russian media, they never name Navalny by name. They always avoid him, they always try to mute him down, because, you know, that's the smart thing to do. But now, now that's been blown up. Now Navalny is all over the national news, so uh, two and a half years of work, of hard work by Mr. Kirienko, of making sure that nobody knows Navalny's name in the general public, of those people who only watch television, because internet is way less widespread in Russia than it's in other countries. Yeah, that's that's gone down the drain. So everyone speaks about Navalny and he's not even out of jail yet. Uh, there have obviously been much of opposition people uh, speaking about this because, you know, it's the bread and butter of the Russian opposition journalists to comment on these things. So I don't know. I waited a bit. I waited because I had my Stalin episode prepared, but then I got all these emails like I mentioned in the intro. Uh, but this is not such a big deal. This is just, you know, continuation of craziness. And uh, if you've listened to my show, then you might understand that um, just because someone in Russia does something crazy on the internet and challenges someone else for a duel, that honestly does not mean or imply any real consequences for this, because even according to the dueling rules, you can't really challenge to a duel someone who's being held imprisoned. Yeah, that's for one. Secondly, uh, the question that many opposition people in Russia put up is that does this mean that Zolotov now has more power? Because even though this whole message was officially accepted, and, you know, Peskov uh, stated that, oh, it's nothing special, and Putin made a joke about it, well, now, what now stops Zolotov from, you know, acting out on his own thing? Maybe he decides that Rosgvardia is 
his own project. Especially in such a time that in Crimea, there is the city of Armyansk. It's a pretty, pretty large city by Crimean standards. And there, there are obvious Solotov's business interests there. And they're now causing a intentional ecological catastrophe because recently about like 5,000 kids were evacuated from there because when people woke up one morning, they discovered that from the local titanium company, there have been like huge fumes coming out and a white oily substance had now covered their cars, their homes and trees all around the place. Even though the government stated that all the panic is created by Ukrainian um, special forces agents and it's just all terrible and, and you know, you shouldn't panic at all, but we're gonna evacuate the kids and we're not even gonna go there even near there so yeah he has some business interests and he just maybe wants to push and shove his way into power because again putin is not as strong and stable as one might think because uh, if you look at him from the positions that he's in right now he can't really control all the monetary flow and the rumor is well at least that i've gotten from my leaks because again everyone sends me emails about this stuff the rumor that I had from the leaks is that there's going to be a monetary reform in Russia so that they will essentially print out larger bills and make sure that all the money has to go through cards, thus eliminating the cash economy and making sure that the local population has less cash on hand so that, you know, they enforce taxes and whatever. But the Blatnoi system has been working so well, and that's the way how people actually manage to survive a bit, that it's going to be a big push. So there are internal struggles, and I for one believe that this whole Zolotov's challenge came from one of these internal political struggles. That wasn't the message for Navalny at all. I do believe that this weird dueling thing, which has caused a bunch of arguments and a bunch of discussions and has caused an uproar in the opposition circles, that it was meant for Putin instead of Navalny. It was meant strictly to show that, hey, look, I'm a muzik, you're a muzik, you know, I can do this. And it's also weird because you can't really know, because sometimes these things that seem crazy might actually denote something larger, some challenge going on in the Putin's internal circles. Because they run by this prison logic that I mentioned in the last episode. They truly do. And the way how they show their magnificence, their power, so to speak, how they express themselves and how this comes out into public sometimes makes for extra weird things. Because a normal person really couldn't understand how can you be a government official and, you know, challenge a journalist. Because, you know, I'm one. But all these things... uh. It's weird because they do make more sense than you might think. They make more sense if you look at it as a way of dealing with internal struggles, as a way of actually showing inside of your own circles full of corruption and whatever. But it does work well with internal struggles. Now, the question is, what will come from this? Because, yeah, uh, another message that I got in the emails when I'm making this episode was that Putin is like, you know, I think Mad Dog Mattis stated that Putin's ready to use tactical nukes in Europe, which is, hey, nuking Baltic's fun. Well, I don't believe he would, but he would definitely throw them around. That's another crazy thing that Putin just might as well do. And this might as well do is an important kind of backdrop of all of this. Because these crazy matters of everything, they come out all the time. And I'm pretty sure that Mr. Zolotov, who hasn't responded since, because previously he denied all the accusations, he just stated that, hey, Navalny doesn't know what he's speaking about and stuff. And then he just challenges him to a duel, calls him names, and, you know, acts like a 15-year-old who wants to slap another 15-year-old with a stick or something. 
Yeah, I do believe that there is a method to this madness, it's just that I cannot comprehend it or even see it. But the duel itself is not as important, actually, it's a huge flash, you know, it's a flash in a pan. Because what happens with, for example, the same guys which I'm going to speak about next, about the Salisbury tourists, that's much more important. And I think that at least one of the reasons why this whole dueling thing happened was just to drive the attention away. Just a bit. Because, oh boy, uh, this duel will obviously never happen, no one's going to react to it, except, you know, me and other journalists will speak about it, but it's not of political significance. 
And the very next day, Russia Today, like RT, declares that, um, yeah, we've contacted those guys. No, actually, those guys contacted us because they want protection. Because obviously, obviously, well, why not? Uh, you know, they feel afraid and scared and want to speak out their own opinions in public. Which is what they did. But yeah, Putin's speech kind of kickstarted that and the fact that the very next day they uh, arrived at the doorstep of RT. No, no, no. That obviously didn't play any role at all. But yeah, so far this has been gone a bit crazy. So according to Medusa.io, you know, the guys whom I use, or most of my sources, here's a nutshell of what they said during the interview. Paraphrasing and shortening it down. <clears throat> Quote, Alexander Petrov and Ruslan Bashirov are our real names. We planned a vacation in London and went to Salisbury to see the cathedral. Cathedral has 123 meter long spire and a clock, which is oldest in the world. A pro tip, you can read that on Wikipedia, so which is what they obviously did. They also wanted to see Old Sarum and Stonehenge, but on March the 3rd, there was a heavy snowfall. They came from Russia. Heavy snowfall in March. Uh, this is uh, my personal comment here. I'm from Latvia. I've visited the UK before. Uh, your snowfalls are in of no comparison to our snowfalls. Because what you call a heavy snowfall is, well, something that people go out without coats here, so... What? But yeah, apparently they couldn't get around town easily. No, cutting on from the, from the interview. <clears throat> the next day we went back to London so that we could at least do some sightseeing. Before all this, we had no idea who Sergei Skripal is. We weren't carrying any Nina Ricci perfume. We, why would two decent guys be walking around with women's perfume? Well, maybe you want to bring one to your girlfriend or wife or, uh, you know, just, just buy as a gift to a friend of yours. There are many, many reasons why non-homosexual men, and they insisted on the fact that they're not homosexual, even though that was kind of a joke there, and even though the journalist who interviewed them just burst in laughter a couple of times during this interview herself, even though she herself is a criminal agent, but let's just ignore that. There are many reasons why people would carry women's perfume around them in a foreign country. But yeah, continuing on. We have a right to privacy. We came to RT for protection, but what we got was an interrogation. That's because the journalists started just to laugh at them in the middle of the interview. <clears throat> we don't work for the GRU. We are ordinary businessmen trying to make it in the fitness industry. The British have been making a lot of claims. At the airport, we always go down one corridor. You'll have to ask the English why the photos of Gatwick show us with the same timestamp. We do not know who actually poisoned the script piles. When they find the people responsible, we would like the English to apologize to us. This whole situation, incredible coincidence, and we just want to be left in peace. Yeah, the problem is if you actually watch the interview there, uh, you can see them actually panicking because, you know... Imagine how it looked like. Your, your superior just comes over and tells you, Hey guys, well, um... You are GRU agents, okay? Well, that's cool, that's cool. You're gonna go into the public television and you're gonna state that you're not gay, even though you slept in the same bed, and for fun and profit, even though you have been to Geneva and Stockholm, according to your passport data, uh, many times in the previous year, and you're a famous and rich businessman, which you have showed again in your getting a visa papers, and because in Russia you have to have a separate passport for foreign travels, they don't get biometrics like we do here in the EU, so... But yeah, you've shown that you have a sizable, like, ridiculously large wealth. So why would you stay in the cheapest possible hotel uh, sticking in the same bed? And like, guys, nothing against homosexual people. It's f 
fine and dandy whatever you do guys but if you can afford it and if you claim that you are totally <clears throat> normal men and hardcore muzik again prison culture steeps in well whatever what can you do but uh, if you do that and if you're a rich businessman why would you ever do that no i mean seriously this is the dumbest excuse on planet earth and and the insanity isn't in there because, you know, they've been trolled so much. I'm pretty sure that you've looked at the interview with those guys. But uh, on September the 14th, for example, the open source intelligence group Bellingcat and the investigative news website The Insider, mind you, uh, The Insider is a Russian one, released passport data belonging to Alexander Petrov, one of the men identified by the British authorities as a suspect in the March 4th nerve agent attack in Salisbury. Obviously. Showing that, you know, his passport files contain various uh, <clears throat> top-secret markings that sort of seem to contradict the whole claim of, oh, no, no, I'm a civilian in the fitness business. Well, see, a lot of people uh, in the fitness business have actually came out and stated that, you know, there's one huge exhibit in Germany where people go for that, and more, like, exhibitions in U.S., because... If you want to be stating that you export fitness food, there's just so much that you can do. It's kind of crazy. And again, hours later, back on the same day, the newspaper Novia Gazeta reported that the leaked passport reports uh, include yet another piece of evidence linking Petrov to Russia's intelligence services. Below one marking, the phone number 1957966 disappeared. This number, that the Novaya Gazeta states, is linked to Russian Defense Ministry's Military Intelligence Directorate. Guess what? That's the GRU. According to the Novaya Gazeta, the automatic telephone station number 195 is tied to Moscow's Horoshovsky district, which is also home to the headquarters of, well, guess who? The GRU. The newspaper says the phone number connections to the Defense Ministry can also be tested in another way. If you take the first five digits of the phone and plug them into any online search engine, you'll find several phone numbers belonging to various subdivisions and affiliated offices on Russia's Defense Ministry. For example, the telephone number for the Defense Ministry's magazine, Foreign Military Review, is 499-195-7964, which is only a single digit different from number listed on Petrov's documents. The magazine's office is located off Khodorkovsky Highway near the GRU, obviously. Another thing, besides these things, uh, yeah, their passport numbers differ by just a single digit. And if you just, you know, twist their digits once again, which guys from the Independent actually did, if you look at the data, then you could see if you just shift the last number once again, you again come up to nice people who claim to be tourists in Salisbury doing nothing wrong. Just, uh, you know, those guys are again in special agencies and in their applications for visas is always stated that they just mustn't give any testimonies. That's the precise wording here. So far, we've been looking at all the... Um, all the facts that have happened, but again, what separates me from like CNN or, or New York Times is that I delve into the analysis of the whole situation and, and I have to ask a question, what does this whole thing mean? From one part you can see the duel and the interview as two completely separate things, but I don't believe it is so. I do believe that it's a statement here because those two guys, they were obviously just sent there to give an interview because Mr. Putin declared that they must. And so they did. That's the biggest issue of all the situation here, because we can now look at people being property. 
If you look at this in the context of the recent tax hikes, the context of increasing the age of retirement, if you look at this whole thing, picture taken together, and of course apply, well, by now, also your knowledge of Russian prison law, then it's the final last gasp of a dying society, of a society that wants to kill itself from inside. It's something that people are now doing individualistic things and grabbing into their own reins of power. One of the other explanations of the interview was that it was just a massive trolling attempt. Just, you know, those guys know that they're gonna get trolled and whatever, but they openly stated to RT that um, they're afraid of their lives, and I would be in their place. I mean, well, what if they meet their colleagues in the street? I'd be afraid of those guys the most, to be honest, because they failed their mission, they didn't kill the Skripals, and uh, right now they've been giving interviews on state television. What's gonna happen to them? I mean, if you believe in Viktor Suvorov and other guys, you know, you expect the GRU to be competent. So I really didn't believe in any of this for a while, because why the hell would GRU be so dumb and so terrible? But then again, it steeps down. It really steeps down, like I told you in my interview with our transhumanist guy. Yeah, if you can steal spare parts of a Buran from somewhere, then it obviously shows that something's gone downhill. Like, even their special services are incompetent drunk fucks. Because the most common explanation on why did they pick, like, their tickets just the last night before going there and why they were checking the stations was that, you know, they picked the tickets to Salisbury and to London by using government money, but they had to stay in the hotel with their own money because, you know, they had a budget. So they basically... Uh, tried to save up on cash so that they can buy, you know, souvenirs out there or something. They've been given 300 pounds for the whole trip. Why would they waste it in a hotel? And again, we come back to Nevzorov, because uh, Nevzorov states that, you know, it would be much better if they would just admit that they're, like, gay people, whatever, and be proud about it. Because that would cause, like, less suspicion. But right now, Theresa May has responded that this insults their intelligence. And it kind of does, but... A lot of people buy that. And there's another theory that they were just acting so dumb and so terrible so that, you know, no one would believe that these dumb guys who can't even hold a proper interview could be GRU agents. There's another theory going on. But all that we have are theories. But again, looking at the facts, what do we have here? We have a country which poisons people abroad. We have a country which is collapsing on its own economical weight and all the incompetence going on down there. And we have its own secret agents doing crazy things, thinking that someone would actually believe them. It's a sad story these days. It's really a sad story, and I don't have anything positive to add to this. Because, well, I want to add it, I want to kind of finalize my Stalin episodes, but the sadness comes from the fact that where have the mighty fallen, really? I mean, they had protest actions, like massive protests against the pension reform, like a, like a week ago or something, and people were beaten up, about a thousand people were arrested in total, of whom 450 in St. Petersburg. Like, you can literally see a government that's more concerned about arresting people with different worldviews and just punching them in the face with batons and sticks than making sure that anything happens, really. And it's really sad, because another thing that I've been getting lately is that Hurdur Kristaps is a Russophobe. No, he's not. No, he's not. I really do wish the best for my Russian people. I want them to have a real democracy, as long-time listeners definitely know. But this is just getting so silly, this is just getting terrible, and, you know, 
all these things like this interview and this discussion it wasn't meant to be in a show but now it is so i hope you enjoy it but um that's not the important part the important part is how ruble will dwell in these few days because it has been like climbing back up again but that's just before another collapse the real stories will happen after i suppose putin decides to get tired as he will because if the duel and this discussion which is utterly incompetent has taught us anything it is that he does not feel secure about himself like at all he wants to go away and he has a good chance to do so so even though my studies about like Russian nukes and tactical nukes being used in Europe have been kind of confirmed because Mr. Mattis, Mad Dog Mattis, I respect the guy a lot, has spoken about this, then um, it's getting weirder. I do believe that Mr. Putin will not last until his next re-election term. But that's just a theory. It's just my theory. But yeah, all the craziness, as much as crazy it might seem... Again, I want to remind you a thing that I told you in the beginning because... Um, it might seem crazy to us, but I'm pretty sure it makes sense to the people who build the Russian politics from within. It makes sense to those guys who build it from the inside, who work on it. It's a power struggle between, like, Bratva, you know, the higher echelon of the whole power system. And all that's left for us is, really? Trying to find out where it goes next. It's a whole complicated issue. At any rate, I'll be here to observe it. And I hope that, you know, one day I'll be able to visit St. Petersburg once again, because, yeah, having death threats and, you know, denied visa kind of sucks. But yeah, well, let's see where this goes, because my prediction is precisely nowhere this time. Sanctions continuing, everything collapsing. To be honest, I really don't know why you sent me all those emails and demanded my commentary on this, because I can't speak for long for kind of a subject which here seems so mundane and so uninteresting, because it's just, you know, oh, let's just notch it up for another craziness that Russia did. But whatever, guys. You wanted this, so I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Maybe nothing new, but hey, food for thought, so to speak. And yeah, see you in Harvard, and when I'll finally do my Stalin, expect a couple of hours of that. Because, hey, what choice do I have now, anyways? Yeah. Oh, and we have a new editor. Welcome, Aneta. She's really great. Uh, she lives in UK, and she seems like a great person. I hope she'll do a great job in editing this show, due to my divorce and everything. Well, you know what? I'm glad I've moved on. Hope you will as well. And see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, 
lemon and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.